0: Father, as we look to your word today, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and help us to learn, to to really listen, and let it resonate inside of us and let it make a difference in us. We have plans to make. We have uh, things to do this coming week. Let it be centered on you and on your word and on your truth. Help us not to live in fear, but not to be cavalier either. And uh, so I pray that you would uh, guide us. And guard us and protect us. And thank you that we do not ever have to ask you to love us. Because you have loved us with an everlasting love. Speak to our hearts now this hour and this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke and the 10th chapter. We were there last week looking at a different uh, part of the chapter And this morning we're going to look at at Luke chapter 10, and the the title of the message is, Oops, I may be more like Martha than Mary. You can agree with that, at least at some point in your life, right? You may be a little more like Martha than Mary. So in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village. Now, it doesn't say so here, but we know other places in Scripture. This was the village of Bethany that was about five miles from Jerusalem. Now, in our day, you you think of cities as being closer than five miles apart. Uh, but actually in the old days of Casa Grande, it's now all part of Casa Grande or Casa Grande. Uh, but it used to be Arizona was a separate community down just south of where we lived and, and Indian Hills was a separate community. And, and now it's all been incorporated into the city so the city can get tax money from all those places. But, uh, but Jerusalem and Bethany were, were just a few miles apart. But remember, they traveled on foot. So I don't think any of you have walked five miles to be here in church today. Even if you got up early and went for a walk, you didn't walk five miles to get to church. And so we have cars, we have different modes of transportation now that are a lot more comfortable. But back then, five miles was a distance from one city to another. So it happened, they entered this certain village, which is Bethany, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, when it says welcomed him, it's not like she said, hey Jesus, come on over for lunch. When Jesus traveled, who went with him? His disciples. Who else went with him? Who, who were the people that funded the ministry of Jesus? Have you read through the scriptures? It's the women that traveled with Jesus who actually funded the ministry, and they kept things going. And so it was Jesus and his disciples and women who were helping provide for Jesus and his disciples. So when Martha off invited Jesus over, it wasn't like, hey, you know, Tim, come on over. It was Tim and all his relatives, all his kids and his nieces and nephews and his great parents and his in-laws and, and everybody, you know. And so it, it's it's a lot of people that Martha has invited over. For a meal. So, uh, and Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted. She was cumbered about with much serving. So she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. I hear tenderness in those words. Not like Martha, Martha. Not like when my mom would say, Terry, Wayne, Green. You know, it, This was Martha, Martha, a tenderness. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So the first thing that we see, this story, if you back up a verse or two before verse 38, Jesus had just praised the merciful man, the Samaritan, uh, for ministering to to one in need. Jesus had just praised him for doing that, for reaching out, for ministering, for caring. And and now that's what Martha is doing. She's showing mercy, she's caring, she's providing. And Jesus had said, do this. And then he had told that guy, go and do likewise, show mercy and kindness to people. And so Martha was kind of doing that. And so You've got to remember, you don't earn your salvation, right? You receive salvation as a free gift from Christ. Uh, But Martha is trying to do something good here. It's not just Martha wanting to show off. Now, by the way, make note here, Jesus didn't have a home. He had a home when He was growing up. When He left home, when in the ministry, He no longer ever had a home or a bed or regular meal, he was completely dependent on other people for his housing, for where he would sleep, for his transportation, for his meals. So second thing we see here, Martha was ministering. She was ministering. I tried to find a picture of an old kitchen, and I know this is not true to the day in which Martha lived, but uh, imag- you know, it, it feels like a lot of work to turn on your oven and cook something in there or, or pull out your instant pot and throw a frozen chicken in there and have a full meal in 20 minutes. It, it, it feels like a lot of work for us. In fact, uh, a lot of people were in panic when the restaurants closed. But in that day... You know, when you wanted to fix beef, you first went and slaughtered the cow, or you went next door where they were slaughtering the cow, and you brought some home. So uh, Martha was ministering. This was work. And the two words that describe what Martha was doing, in, in verse number 40 in the English, it says that Martha was distracted with much serving, much serving, and then again it says, my sister has left me to serve alone. Those two words, much serving and serve alone, that that comes from uh, the Greek word where we get the word deacon. They're both a root of diakonos. And so they they talk about working and serving and ministering. And if you look in the book of Acts in the sixth chapter, the reason deacons were called into ministry was to serve in the church to minister and assist the people of the church. And and so Martha was deacon. She was ministering. She didn't hold the office of a deacon. In fact, there's some limitations for those who might hold the office of a deacon. We've had uh, six different guys in our church serve as a deacon here at different times. They've all been faithful and served the Lord and loved the Lord, and we've been blessed by their ministry. Uh, and we've had more than that, but those guys have not moved away and they're still here. And some of them have moved away to heaven, which, you know, that's a blessing for them and a loss for us. Uh, but, but Martha was doing something that we would normally consider something good. She's preparing food for other people. How many of you think it's nice when somebody prepares food for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a blessing. Most of the time. Occasionally, you know, they're serving Brussels sprouts or something evil like that. But, but normally, it's a blessing. In fact, a friend recently showed up at our house with a bag of tacos and not Taco Bell stuff. I mean, the good stuff. And that was a blessing. We ate for two days on that. That was cool. Uh, but so what Martha's doing is, is kind of a good thing, right? It feels like this is something that should be done and, and she's doing it. And that's not at all how Jesus presented it. So we'll come back to that in just a bit. But, but Martha thinks Mary is distracted. Martha's doing all the work. What's Mary doing? Well, yeah, yeah, but she's just sitting there too, right? She's not moving around. She's just sitting And Martha's doing all this work in a kitchen that's not as easy to use as the ones we have in our homes today. And so at first, don't you kind of feel Martha's frustration? You have spent time. You've been trying to do a job. Maybe you were hired to do a job, and you have to do twice as much as the other person. When our kids were in public school and, and as they were going to public school, the public school always has group projects. I have no idea why they do that at a young age, but they have these group projects. And I know that's the way the real world is. That's the way work is. But I remember our kids would be so frustrated. They had to do all the work. Because they had one or two or three lazy people in their group. And so if they wanted to get an A, they had to do extra work. How many, you've done that, right? You've had to cover for somebody else. You've picked up after somebody. I know some wives have to pick up the clothes from their husbands. Guys, don't let that be you. But, but you're, you're trying to fix a meal and you're all alone and no one's helping and, and sometimes you want help and sometimes, right, you, you need help sometimes. And so I I think Martha really felt like she needed help. It wasn't going well. She was struggling. And now when you see Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now that's a phrase that the Jews used to describe somebody who's under the tutelage or discipleship or mentorship of another. To sit at the feet, it it describes Paul uh, as a Pharisee, Saul was sat under the feet of Gamaliel. That's that's describing somebody who's in a a mentor-mentee relationship and they're learning from. So Mary's not just sitting on the floor listening to Jesus tell stories. Mary's sitting there being discipled by Christ. And by the way, ladies, you ought to say glory because uh, women were excluded from religious studies uh, before uh, Mary before Jesus came along and Jesus introduced the concept allowing women to sit in on the studies with men. In fact, <laughs> way back when when Kathy and I were in Bible college, we wanted her to take theology. But we were told theology is for the men because they will be the pastors in the churches. And I said, she's going to be my partner. She's going to lead children's ministries and women's ministries. Isn't it important to have theology taught right for women's groups and kids' groups and all of this? And, and so they allowed her in. And after that, every woman in the, in that school has been able to uh, take theology classes. She, she opened the door. Now, should she have had to open that door? Nope. Jesus opened that door. But the good old boy system in Texas closed it temporarily, but Kathy and I kicked it down. Oh. Oh. All right, so, so Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it's a discipleship, mentorship. She's soaking it in. She's learning. She's growing. And, and so Martha didn't call Mary. Martha didn't say, hey, Mary. Like, I could say, hey, Hunter, come over here and help me. I'm, I'm not saying that. But but I could. Uh, and, and so Mar- Mar- Martha knew Mary's name, right? She knew where Mary was. She didn't have to find Jesus to find Mary. But she said to Jesus, why? Because Jesus was sitting as the authority teaching to those who were disciples and learners and mentees of the mentor students of the rabbi. And so Mary, or Martha started out with it right. You know? She went into Jesus and spoke to Jesus as the authority to deal with this situation. And, and then Mary gets a little bit off, right? What does she do in that process? Well, she complained about Mary, but what else does she do? She tells Jesus what to do. All right. This is confession time. How many of you have ever done that in prayer? Told God what to do? Yeah. We 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 default to it. We're sure that we know the right thing. And and so what happened is that that Martha tells Jesus what to do. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha comes up to the doorway maybe and and Martha recognizes that Jesus is the authority in that room, but she kind of forgets that Jesus is the authority in the kitchen too. And and, and we do that sometimes. So she slipped up and she told Jesus what to do. So in your prayers, if you do that, you, you know better, right? You know better. But it's difficult for us to submit. It is. And uh, so if you're like me, then there's some things that God allows in your life that you're not comfortable with. And it's okay to talk to God about that, to express frustration about that, but you always have to bring yourself to the point of submission, even as Jesus in the garden. Father, is there not another way? Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We, We can express our thoughts to him, but we submit to His. Judgment. Martha really thought that Mary was distracted. But what was the truth? The truth was, Jesus knows that Martha is distracted. Jesus knows that Martha's the distracted one. Martha was cumbered about. She was distraught. She was overburdened. Now, uh, there are times when when we feel burdened, right? And and sometimes we feel overburdened. What's the difference between feeling burdened and overburdened? When, when you're burdened, you're having a hard time, but you're hanging in there, right? I mean, but when you're overburdened, you feel truly overwhelmed. You, you feel like you can't make it. It's like, you know, you call a kid up and you say, all right, I want you to carry this 10-pound pack. Oh, great. So they carry the 10-pound pack. And, you know, a good, healthy kid, he could carry the 10-pound pack. And then then he comes back, and you say, all right, now I have a 100-pound pack. And, and the 70-pound kid looks at that 100-pound pack and says, it can't happen. And so you put it on their back, and, and pretty soon they're on the ground with it on their back, going, Ugh! You know, you, They're overburdened. Now, I was describing a physical overburden. But most of the time, our overburden is emotional. Martha was overburdened. Martha had put herself in a position where she was beyond the capacity to function. And so what she thought she needed was Mary to step up and help. Somebody to boss her boss around. That isn't what she needed. And Jesus points that out. She was focused on much serving, all the preparation to feed Jesus and his disciples. And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha. First time acknowledging her, second time calling her emotionally, spiritually, to connect with him. You are worried and troubled. You are filled with care and worry. You are anxious and upset about many things. Uh, Martha's focused on this little kitchen thing, but Jesus said it's, it's uh, more of an epidemic. It's, it is not just this day, it's this life. And Martha was so focused. Uh, now, some people are naturally career-focused and, and oriented and task-oriented, and uh, my dad and I had, had an issue. When, when you're in the military, the military role, the, the mission is critical, and the people are secondary, and in military leadership, sometimes you have to send guys into a situation knowing they're going to die but knowing their effort is critical to the overall effort. And so there are times when, in that setting, you almost use people to get the task done no matter what. But in the ministry, we don't use people. We work with people. There's a big difference. And so Martha's stressed and Martha's burdened about many things. Her whole life is caught up this way. And and I got to tell you, I mean, aren't you glad that that we are so blessed to live in a day where we, we don't have worries like Martha did? Aren't you glad we're so blessed? All right, see, number five, we are too easily distracted by the cares of this life. Jesus described that. He told a parable about a seed sown among thorns. And the seed sown among the thorns uh, looked like it was going to do something. It looked like it was going to uh, take root. But it got choked out by the cares of this life. There are a lot of cares in this life. And we can be choked out. Humanity struggles with distraction You struggle with distraction. We all do. Secular social scientists. These are, by secular, I'm talking about people who are not believers. They're not followers of Christ. They don't study their Bible. They're not living from a biblical worldview. They're secular social scientists. They believe in humanity and the universe, but they don't believe in God. But even secular scientists all agree that social media will distract people from what is more important in their life. All of them, whether they're believers or not, they say they recommend that you limit your time on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Pinterest, Google+. Limit your time. And if you're on all those, <laughs> you've got a problem. Okay, but, but some of those you would probably be on. And it's okay for you to go to YouTube and watch the videos of our church and then get off. No. You, you can do more stuff than that. You you can, well, I mean, how many of you, you, honestly, you've watched YouTube cat videos, right? You know, uh, we had, you haven't? Oh, man. We had the truckers over at our house once, <laughs> and, and, uh. We watched. I, I was showing him a bunch of cat videos till Kathy came out and said, "Isn't there something better to to do?" Cat videos, little crawly cats. Only the ones we were watching were the crazy cat videos. You know, where somebody sneaks up, cares, scares a cat, and the cat leaps and plows into the wall and fun stuff, right, Aaron? <laughs> I, I, fun stuff. Good. Edifying. Uh, <laughs> Building, up. But, but see, you, you can get on the internet and be there for hours. You can get on Facebook and you go on Facebook to check on this one person and then, oh, they mentioned somebody else. You check on them and, oh, somebody else and, oh, somebody else. And, and I have attention deficit disorder and I choose not to be on Facebook because I could disappear down the rabbit hole. And, and so I just don't do it. It's easier for me to not do it than to do it in little pieces. And so you, it's easy to get distracted. And you need to have personal values. And you should figure out your priorities. And you should uh, work toward what's most important. And so I, I'm going to introduce something that you may have never heard of. It's just a tool to help you think and plan and... This is the uh, Eisenhower Matrix, uh, made popular by General Dwight D. Eisenhower, then became president. In the Eisenhower Matrix, he focused on things that are important and urgent, and Eisenhower said, what you have to do is focus on the stuff in quadrant one, to focus on the stuff there. So can you put that star in quadrant one? Uh, this is the stuff that's important and urgent. And when you focus on the stuff that's important and urgent, well, that was the next slide, but that's okay. You can leave it there. Eisenhower said, put that in number one. It was fine. Okay. Put that in number one. The stuff that's important and urgent, that's what Eisenhower said you need to focus on. If you just use the arrow key down, it might... Okay, whatever. Uh, So... Uh, Stephen Covey came along and said, no, instead of focusing on number one, what's important and urgent, what you really need to do is focus on what's important, but not urgent. Because if you don't, you'll never get around to it. Because stuff fills up with a sense of urgency. And so I I just got a, a, a few questions to ask you. Like, uh, uh, when is it urgent to eat healthfully? Not until you have a crisis. And then it's, it's a little bit late. When is it urgent to change the oil in your car? A little too late, you know. Uh, when is it urgent to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord? Never. But it's important And it's rarely urgent to eat healthfully. It's rarely urgent to pray. In fact, the relationship you build up in daily prayer is what sustains you when your prayers become urgent. So if we only focus on what's urgent, we never really get to the life-building important stuff. So the reality is you should try to focus on quadrant two. Because one thing is needed. One thing. That's what Mary was pursuing, that one thing. Mary was pursuing the higher priority. One thing is needed. One thing is essential. And it was missing from Martha's life, but it was in Mary's life. Can you pop that up? Uh, It could be missing in your life too. One thing. See, it was not urgent for Mary to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. The urgency was in the kitchen. But Jesus said Mary made the right choice to focus on what was more important. I was reading a book this week about time management and stuff, Uh, using your time wisely and planning your week and all that. And She said something really funny. I had to pass it on to my kids. Uh, She said, you know, if you want to value quality time with your kids, uh, then uh, you can use paper plates and just throw them away when you're done and then send a little uh, uh, check off to your favorite uh, environmental support group to uh, get over your guilt feelings and have atonement, you, you send a check there because you're uh, hurting the environment by throwing away styrofoam or paper. But listen, we have to make value choices every day. Jesus said, the highest priority of your day is to learn from him to spiritually draw closer to Him. Martha was so busy. Mary was so focused. One thing is needed. You need a heart for the Lord. You need to intentionally draw closer to Him. Not because it's urgent, but because it's vitally important. And so we can look at our day and say, do you have a daily priority for prayer and worship? say, is it worship what we do at church? No, worship is how you live your life if you're worshiping God. You do it every day. Uh, How much time do you spend listening to God God, through His Word and through His Spirit? Uh, Mary chose the good part, the most honorable part, the most essential, the most desperately needed activity or thought. Jesus said, one thing is needed. Not like, hey, this will improve your life. Hey, you want to have a better life? Try this. This wasn't a self-help tip from Jesus. This was a focus on what really matters. And we need to focus our hearts and our lives on eternal things. Mary focused her attention Not on her daily life, but on her eternal values. That's what Mary chose to do. She focused on her eternal values. So when she sat with Jesus, she was looking beyond lunch. She was looking beyond this day. She was looking down the road as she grew and following Jesus. How she could grow and mature and serve and walk. And Jesus said, that's the most important thing. To do that. She was more hungry for the Lord than she was for dinner. As Job said, I've treasured the words of God more than my necessary food. How are you doing on your one thing? It's the most important, most valuable, most urgently needed activity you could ever do. And it never feels urgent because we don't know what's coming next. And see, you're right here, and you choose to draw closer to the Lord or to be casual about it, and you don't know the very next thing that's going to happen, you're going to desperately wish you were closer to the Lord. Desperately wish that you felt in sync with Him. Now, you can choose that good part, Mary did, and you can too. And if you do, it will not be taken away from you. So here's an important thought. It's not going to show up on the screen, but I want you to really think about it. Devotion to God is a skill we can learn. It's a skill we can learn. We can get better at praying, better at memorizing Scripture, reading Scripture. We can get better at uh, making value judgments. It's a skill that we can learn. And we can get better at it. You're not stuck in your Martha moments. If I said, how many of you honestly, truthfully, don't do this, don't raise your hand, but if I did ask this, how many of you honestly, truthfully had a Martha moment this week? I bet if everyone was honest, their hand could go up. But we can get better at the Mary moments. We can choose to move toward the Lord and love Him and pursue Him like Mary did. We can take baby steps, you know, and then big steps, and then a leap of faith. Did I have you worried a little bit? A leap of faith. You can get better at it. You can move and, and go. And you watch a toddler. And when they're first walking, you know, it's a good thing they're wearing diapers. Because they sure fall on that thing. And they need that padding. And, and they get a little better at it. And, man, they go from barely walking to running around the house so fast you can hardly keep up with them. And spiritually, we can do that too as we grow in the Lord. So... Here's a prayer that we could pray that would be beneficial to us if we did. Lord, today I choose to be more like Mary than Martha. More like Mary than Martha. Lord, I choose to do this today. And then please strengthen me to make this choice tomorrow and every tomorrow after that. We worship Jesus, not this Mary or Mary, the mother of Jesus. We worship Jesus Christ. But we can learn from Mary. Jesus said, this was the important thing. Mary has chosen that good part. Now look at the end of that verse, which will not be taken away from her. Guess what? How many things are you going to leave behind when you die? Not quite. You're going to leave behind every thing. But the spiritual growth that you have inside you is going to carry with you. That that good thing that Mary chose will not be taken away from her. The kitchen, that'll be gone. The house, that'll be gone. The daily activities, those will be gone. But the spiritual maturity she had in Christ will never be taken away. This is something we can carry with us forever. If we choose on a daily basis to try and be following the pattern set by Mary. So there's a song that I... um, Actually, uh, I was stressed out about something earlier this week, last week. This week, I'm doing great. Sunday's the first day of the week. Last week, I was stressed out about something, and somebody texted me a link, a YouTube link to this song, and the song is Still My Soul Be Still. And I played that song, and I played it again, and a couple hours later, I played it again, and the next day, I played it again. And, and it just really resonated in me to calm my spirit before God and trust. And so I want to end our service with all of us singing, Still, my soul, be still.